Welcome back. This is your kind of well, kind of toxic host, Sarah Rittendale, bringing you another episode of Wellish. Jenny Prem, welcome to Wellish. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I go ahead and just let people introduce themselves. I like who they tell me who they are, what their passion, purpose, all of that good stuff is. So Ooh, take it away. <laughs> that's risky. I could say whatever I wanted. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, you know, a little bit about me. I exited corporate America after over a 20 year, really successful career of climbing the ladder and, you know, just living the dream for what a lot of people's dreams would be. And I know we'll get to this in the content um, or in, in the podcast, but basically what happened is I had a very life-changing uh, situation that I write about in my book. So I'm a number one best-selling author. My book is called You're My Favorite. Um, first and foremost, I'm an inspirational keynote speaker. So that's one of the main things that I do. I have my own podcast called Drinking with Gin. Um, it's also a life improvement, self-improvement podcast. We just happen to have the chats over a drink um, of any kind. Sometimes it's water, sometimes whatever, and whatever you want to grab as you listen along. And then I'm also a life coach. So all of that was a big transition for me. Um, in addition, I, I love to travel. So little fun facts. And I'm a doggy mama of the most gorgeous, perfect Cavalier King Charles Spaniel named Francine. So uh, yeah, Amazing. that's a little bit about me. Awesome. So you mentioned the drinking with each episode. I love that. I think that's so cool. I was listening to a few of your episodes and I think that's so fun. So I'm assuming that you have a drink right now. So I don't, I was going to grab a water and there was no water in the fridge in my studio, <laughs> but there was this cocktail, like this like canned cocktail. And I was like, oh, should I? I was like, eh, it's only one o'clock. I better, I better not. <laughs> I swear Sundays have been my drinking days lately. I don't know what that's about with me, but it's just Sunday it fun day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? You're a keynote speaker. You have your own podcast. You're a just recent author of You Are My Favorite. Is that true? Yeah, you're my favorite came out last March, March of 2022. Okay, nice. Awesome. That's great. So have you been have you seen success from it? Do you feel like or do you feel like you got out of it what you wanted? Yeah, I mean, it's a number one bestseller on Amazon. Can't really. I, I don't, Hell yeah. Yeah. So that feels really good. And I think what's interesting about it is you never know what's going to happen when you put your life story or, you know, something so personal out into the world. It, it really makes you vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and that was a big part of it. I think that was a big part of the exercise of it for me, but really what it's done. And like, when I read the reviews and people reach out to me, the, the biggest feedback that I get, that's so rewarding is people say your book provided me with so much validation. Mm. And then they started reaching out to me, sharing their own stories. And it kind of opens that door for people to share their stories and you can't heal what you don't acknowledge. And mm -hmm. that's a big part of it. So the fact that that's opening up that door for people to acknowledge their own situations and circumstances, and then it's creating this connection and community with people, um, whether their story is eerily similar to mine or vastly different. Absolutely. So is that kind of the purpose behind sharing your story? What was your mindset? Like what made you want to put what happened to you to paper? Oh, well, some girls were gossiping about my story in a clothing boutique. Uh, oh. That's that's the actual truth of, you know, what inspired me to to start it. And they weren't even talking about it right. And, you know, there's kids involved. And so mm -hmm. for me, that part was very personal, it was very protective. And after leaving there, I thought, gosh, 
is my story that interesting that people want to talk about it? And and if they do, if they want to hear about it, well, maybe I should share it accurately yeah. so people are actually hearing the truth. So I'm asking you this question more so out of selfish reasons because I read the first chapter of your book and I was like totally all in, like totally captivated by it. So can you give me like a brief overview of your relationship with who you call Chad in the story? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So basically, you know, when I met him, I was living my best life. Like if you just think about in picture the lead character in any given Netflix rom-com or series, like the successful career-oriented woman, like flying, traveling all over the world with her friends and traveling for work. That was me, like spending my free time with my friends and mostly my dogs, but, um, (laughs) you know, like that was my life. And so when I, when I was introduced to Chad, I wasn't interested for a couple of reasons. One, because my life was so great, but he also had two kids. And sometimes I think when people get into relationships with people that have children, it creates additional complexities. You might stay longer than you should um, because Mm -hmm. you're invested and now you don't love one person. You love three people. Yes. Um, And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I gradually started to let him in. He, you know, really tried to push things fast and I was a little bit slower, but once kind of that, that barrier was broken down, I ended up falling in love. And then I met his kids and I fell in love two more times. Mm -hmm. And while it was never something that I was really like that I had in my life plan or was part of my goals. Now I have this instant family. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find myself in school pickup and drop off lines and packing lunches and watching movies, cuddling on the couch in the weekend. And I loved all of it. I really Mm -hmm. did. And, you know, fast forward, you know, they they move in to my house, um, you know, and they have a wonderful mother that they were with, you know, they spend a lot more time with her now. But, you know, they were with us like 40 percent of the time, basically, when I wasn't traveling for work and, then, you know, fast forward and we had just gotten back from this really extravagant vacation that, of course, I footed the bill for. Mm-hmm. He did pay for one night hotel. <laughs> I, I like to be fair balanced. OK, so we go on this extravagant vacation to Italy that I, of course, put together, paid for whatever, 10 days, get back from this great vacation. And I turn around and I leave the next day for and this is almost a year and a half, like we did it for just under a year and a half. <clears throat> to give some perspective. So not that long, but things moved, you know, like I said, really fast and they, right. they lived in my house and all that. So I go on this work trip and I, when I was gone on this trip, it was like two days after we got back from Italy and I left. And I remember this moment, like, these are the things that I just want to tell you and your audience, like to pay attention to to not ignore your intuition and to pay attention to those moments when you have them. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this is one of the things I talk about all of the time is like trusting ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I just had this feeling like the sensation. I remember it so vividly sitting on the edge of the bed at the JW Marriott in Orlando, Florida. It was like a wave came crashing over me and I just knew that things at home, something was wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And the next day I woke up and I had shingles on my face. Oh my God. Why? Because you were stressed? Yeah. 
Oh my God. That's yeah. Crazy. And so, and during the time frame that I was with him, I also had an abnormal, um, skin cancer lesion on my wow. breast. So it's like, pay attention to your bodies, pay attention to your intuition. We know, like we know these things. And I came home and I had a conversation with him. Well, first of all, I didn't know until Monday when I was able to get into the dermat or Tuesday, uh, into the dermatologist, uh, that I had shingles on my face. I still have a scar. You can't see it in the video, but you can see it. It's fairly prominent. Like if you, mm -hmm. like, if I point it out, you'd be like, oh yeah, I can definitely see it. Um, it's a little bit of my battle wounds, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I came home, we had a conversation. It was really kind of like our first big fight. I mean, he totally gaslit me. I felt so crazy mm -hmm. and I am a very like level-headed, you know, kind of rational person. And I just, it, it was, a really ugly time. I, I remember before I went home and had the conversation with him, I went to the grocery store and I, after I got my groceries, I drove to the back of the parking lot of the grocery store to call one of my best friends. And I was just sobbing. I was like, I, I, I was actually like hyperventilating and she couldn't understand me. She was like, you're scaring me. What's going on? Yeah. Um, and so I told her, I was like, I just, I know something's wrong. Like, and she was like, there's no way he would have to be a complete psychopath to mess up things with you, you know, for him and his kids. You sake. always think that, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, he is. So, yeah. so there's that. So anyway, somehow he was able to talk himself out of it. Um, I share all the, all the juicy details, um, of course, like even of that conversation and kind of how he gaslit me, like he, like, here's one of the things just for an example. Yeah, for sure. He was like, had I known that there was any trust issues in our relationship, I would have never uprooted my kids and moved them into your house. Now, mind you, he moved like six times in five years. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, like that's not like, you know, get, trying to make me be the villain and him the victim Absolutely. And, you know, flip the script on me. So fast forward a month after that, I'm on another work trip and one of my friends messages me, I'm coming home that day and she messages me that she wants to get together. It's a Tuesday for cocktails. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not necessarily a Tuesday night cocktail kind of gal, like especially at 10 p.m., yeah, on a sure. Tuesday, like, and we were not cocktail kind of friends. Like we would do workouts or coffee, you know, get coffee, but never cocktails. Yeah. And certainly not, like I said, on a Tuesday at 10 PM. So, I mean, and she seemed like she really wanted to get together urgently. And so all day, you know, my life is so great. I'm like going in thinking, how do I show up and be a good friend with what, you know, to this person for whatever it is that she has going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, never thinking that there was going to be like this huge plot twist. And so I walk in and she's sobbing and has already had at least one drink. There's, you know, one empty glass on the, on the table and we order, you know, a, we order a drink and I was like, you know, I reach across the table. I'm like, gosh, I have been worried about you all day. What's going on? And she's like, it's not about me. It's about you. It's actually about Chad. Oh my and God. do you want to know? Um, and I was like, yeah, of course. So she had just kind of this stack of papers that was just pages of documentation of lies, deception, betrayal. Wow. And 
what I, you know, what I want to say about it is <clears throat> part of why I'm so passionate about speaking about this is because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, a breakup, you got cheated on. So many people do. And I totally get that. But when it's your life and it's your situation, it's big and your story matters. Now, what happened for me in my situation is this guy that was living in my house was not who I thought he was at all. Mm-hmm. And so that like, it really shook me to my core. And then you start to question everything, right? Yep. You start to question reality. Like when you've been manipulated and gaslit emotionally, mentally, he put my physical health at risk. He's a financial fraud. He pretends to be a doctor. He does chiropractic adjustments on people and he's not a doctor. Wow. Um, you know, he, he made up lies. He told one woman that his, one of his kids had brain cancer. Wow. I mean, just some of the most vile, you know, yeah. offensive things. He left my dogs alone and neglected them while I was traveling to give the full, you know, picture and kind of scope and the gravity of things of this monster really that was yeah. living in my house. I had no idea. And I think that that's such a good point is people say it's about the cheating, but it's not just that there's so many layers of betrayal that go on behind the scenes that most people don't see when you're in that relationship. And I really like what you talk about, about it being this, it is like a big deal. It takes up your whole mental space when you're in a situation like this. And I think I really like that. That's what your goal is. Or one of your goals are is to, to really paint the picture of how important everybody's story truly is because it takes up so much space for you. Mm -hmm. I, I like that a lot. What would you say is one of the biggest questions that you asked yourself throughout the entire relationship during the relationship or after I thought during, but maybe both. Hmm. You know, I think during, if I go back and I look, it's kind of like, is this it? You know, I think I, I did. I thought that was my, like, I thought that was my life. Like I thought I was going to be with this guy. Like I made a commitment to these kids mm-hmm. and I truly, and like, that was the conversation that we had when we sat down for the first time is that, you know, I told him, I was like, look, I, I signed up for this and I signed up for this permanently. Like I envisioned that I'd be at your high school graduations and your college graduations and your weddings, you know? Um, and luckily their mom, you know, is like, you still will be. And so we are still in each other's lives, which is great. I think, you know, afterwards, it's really easy for whatever reason, I knew immediately that that it wasn't my fault, right? Like that I wasn't damaged or broken or that like his, I knew his actions didn't have anything to do with me because yeah. he's so sick. But it was, you know, that was actually, it's part of the coaching program that I use and part of my coaching model that I developed. And really the first step after the acknowledgement is asking questions you know, I had to, the questions I asked myself is, you know, why did this happen? You know, mm-hmm. how did I allow this to happen? How did I allow this into my life? Not in a victim-y kind of way, right? Um, not like the, oh, why me? But really, you know, why? Why me? Why Why did this happen? How did this happen? And so I really got super curious and I went down this path of really seeking to understand the behaviors and the manipulation and, you know, the, the things associated with it. And that really helped me gather and gain an, a better understanding of things like, you know, a lot of words that are thrown around really flippantly these days. Like I've done deep dives and I 
would say I'm now an experiential expert on things like narcissism and mm -hmm. gaslighting and love bombing. And even I learned words like schadenfreude. Um, <laughs> if you, if you're not familiar with it, that oh, is uh, when people find joy in the misfortune of others. Mm, interesting. Can you say the word again? Schadenfreude. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. that or Scheud is it Schadenfreude? I, I, it's a German word. I, okay. I'm pretty sure it's Schadenfreude. So yeah, I mean, that was a, a, a big part of it for me was really gathering information to understand what I'd been through too. Yeah. Um, and what I really came to realize is I allowed this into my life because it was familiar to me. I grew up with a parent that had a lot of the same behavior traits and personalities as well as a sibling. And that's sometimes when things are familiar to us, there's comfort in that. And that's not always good. Absolutely. I feel like every situation that I've been a part of or I've watched friends or family be a part of, it is that same exact model that they had a parent that behaved in a certain way. And even if the parent was a good person, it's not like they were severely malicious like some of these other men tend to be they still follow those same patterns, same habits, same tendencies. And like you say, it's familiar and it's comfortable. And you just almost think that that's the right way to be because you don't know any different. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's just what you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Is there a common excuse that you would make for him? Um, from the outside, things looked good, right? Like we mm -hmm. did look like this. I, I was the perfect host for him because mm -hmm. I provided him with the lifestyle that he wanted and thinks he's entitled to and deserves, even though he can't provide it for himself. Um, I was an excellent caretaker for his kid, you know, for his children. Um, so from the outside, people thought that we had this like perfect relationship and that we were so in love. And, you know, a lot of times... That was the case. I think for him, his excuse that he would always use is I'm sick. I don't feel well, um, which for someone in the health and fitness industry is, a, you know, in hindsight, a really big red flag. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know that I made. Excuses, I think I just ignored myself, you know, I think okay. I kind of got I think I lost myself. Yeah. I wonder, I find it so fascinating that you did get kind of caught into the whirlwind of it. And it obviously it makes sense because A, he's good at what he does. B, it, he's a master manipulator. And C, you said you were talking about the familiarity of it. But I just think it's so interesting how nobody is immune to like this type of behavior. You were such a strong or are such a strong willed go getter type of woman that you confidence just radiates from you like you wouldn't think that you would be a person that would I don't want to say fall victim to something like this but like that would play into the game but it's like it can seriously genuinely happen to anybody and I don't know I just think that's crazy we think that there's something wrong with us but there's nothing wrong with you it's this game that they have us so intertwined in it's sick <laughs> well I think that's part of it like I think a lot of times people do, they feel like conned or bamboozled by these yeah. manipulators. And it doesn't have anything to do with your intelligence, but it can really wreak havoc on women's confidence. They they do think that there's something wrong with them and that they are broken. And that's like 
what I'll tell you is, you know, right away when the book came out, I started getting messages from women reaching out, just kind of trickling in. There'd be like a couple a month, which is still kind of a lot. They would reach out and be like, hey, I also am a victim of the real life Chad. Well, a few months ago, a photo of him was posted in this secret Facebook group um, and instantly like a hundred women commented. They all started sharing. So it's basically this site where women will be like, hey, are there any, anybody have any tea on this guy or are there any red flags, whatever. And so all of a sudden, like a hundred women comment, they all start DMing one another, sharing my book, and then they all start reaching out to me. And at this point, I will tell you, there are countless women that have reached out to me that are also victims of Chad. Many, many, many of them overlapped when we were together. Mm-hmm. And they thought they were his girlfriend while he was living in my house, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that speaks to the manipulation. And like these are not, you know, a lot of these women are really smart, successful. Um, you know, some of them are really young. I'm just like, oh my gosh, are you even 18? Um, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, and this guy's like, I don't know, it's mid to late 40s at this point. But yeah, wow. Um yeah. And I think what's interesting is like when I put my book out there, sure, I wanted to, you know, help raise awareness of the Chads of the world, but I had no idea how many actual victims of the Chad there would be. And these women have connected with one another and have kind of created connection and community with one another. And they've helped validate each other too. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're smart and successful. It, it's not, I'm not dumb. Right. And I think it's helped women get their confidence back. And the way I describe confidence, which I think is interesting that you said I exude confidence. I think sometimes when people exude confidence, it can be overcompensation. Interesting. Um, Okay. But I've really come to, to me, I say confidence is how much you actually like yourself and you have to really know yourself to actually like yourself. I love that. And like, these are things like we, you and I were talking about your audience, you know, before we, before the show. And I think I was really excited because these are all things, things that I talk about that I wish I knew and had access to when I was younger, you know? And so I think I, I'm just really excited to connect with, you know, the women in your audience because this in, information and knowledge is power. Yes, I agree. And I think that that's, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you today was just because it's so, it seems so common in my age bracket now that this is the dating world is that there's constantly this manipulation and this gaslighting and nobody wants to settle down and be serious. And not that you have to be, not that you have to settle down to, you know, be in a healthy situation. Of course you can date around and do those things, but are you being manipulative and gaslighting and belittling people and making people feel less than they are and taking their confidence away. So I think I, I love to be able to talk to you and to talk about this topic just because it does, like you were saying before we started the show, just how you want to be able to validate people. And I just think that that's so crucial for people to actually see in real life what that looks like. You said on a show that you were on that one of the first warning signs was that you found lingerie tags that were not in your size. I feel like when people talk about the beginning warning signs, most of the time they're not as intense or blatant or in your face. So 
Can you tell me what your mind was doing when you saw those Andre tags and how you moved forward from it? Yeah, um, I was done. I was done. Like the, I told him the relationship was over. I was watching his kids that night while he was away. Mm -hmm. And I sent him a picture of it. And I was like, I'm obviously not going to leave your kids alone, but in the morning I will be gone. Yeah. And so I packed up all my stuff. I packed up all my dog stuff and I left and I never intended to go back. And he came over that night and manipulated his way back in. It was the crocodile tears. I, I, you know, he did the whole, turned himself into the victim. Oh, well, you know, I, my dad abandoned me when I was little. So I have abandonment issues mm. and it's like, okay, well, what does that have to do? And no, no, I'm not minimal, but when people like him use that at an opportune time at that point too, it was almost like a little bit of the sunk cost fallacy. I think I felt like I'd already invested this much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, for sure. You know, and it's like, I had like literally on order were for the kids to have beds and a bedroom at my house. Mm -hmm. We weren't living together yet. We hadn't even talked about living together, but they were there so much that I was like, well, let's give them, you know, I had a empty extra bedroom that I hadn't really done anything with. So mm -hmm. made that a bedroom for them and they loved it. And so I think it was a little bit of that. And you know, he just, the way he explained it away. Yeah, right. And I like what you say, too, about the show that he puts on, that it's like you you get so lost in. I, I think a big thing is that you want to believe it's true. Like you want to believe that he actually feels that way about you. And at least for me, that was one of my biggest things is that it's just like you you want this life. You are so involved in his life. You're around his children that it's so devastating to find something like that. There's the feeling that you get like in your chest, in your gut, you have your, like, again, follow your intuition. You have your initial reaction of this is not right. I need to leave. But then somehow he's able to work it and get back into like, get back to you and get back into your feelings. And you want to believe that that's really what he wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I also think that Again, going back to like paying attention to our bodies, mm -hmm. I think in like with fairy tales and in media and in, you know, movies, that butterfly in your stomach feeling is really glamorized and, yeah. you know, and happy endings. But the butterfly in your stomach sensation is your body actually warning you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, pay attention to that, right? It's like that you know, and I don't know if you've done any talking or um, looking into like attachment styles, but just a little bit. Okay. So attachment styles are huge. Like learning your attachment style, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And so then when you are looking for, like, depending on what you're looking for, like you said, one is not right or wrong. Like if you're just looking for a fling, that's fine. Maybe the butterflies in the stomach is, is fine because it's maybe that chemistry or kind of your body giving you a little bit of that high, mm -hmm. but is that sustainable, right? Usually that can lead to right. volatility. And is that sustainable? They actually say that the key to like a long-term state healthy relationship is it might feel a little boring, but yeah. it should feel comfortable. You know, it should feel comfortable. Your body shouldn't be, you know, getting shingles and, right. um, you know, whatever Ulcers else and whatever else. Is yeah, exactly. Yes. 
Yeah. I I like what you said too about you being a, a perfect host for him. I think that that was interesting. Do you think that people like that are scouting out specific people that are certain qualities, have certain qualities? I think for certain purposes. So I say yes in one capacity for him, for his public girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think he does look for a certain type. Interesting. For all of the other women, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because you think that they serve different purposes for him is what you're saying? I mean, so there's like no discrimination when it comes to that. And and one of the things I say, I mean, like literally the number of women, I mean, it is fascinating. I'm like, if there's one thing this guy should be teaching, it should be time management. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for real. That's what I don't like the mental illness that just like screams from this. And I just don't understand how it's funny when you're in this situation, how it's so you so easily again, feel like there's something wrong with you. But looking at the situation from a bird's eye view, you're like, that guy is mentally ill. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit. I like what you talk about, about it being so much more than just the cheating. Do you mind sharing some things that happened that were just totally unacceptable that should have also been red flags to an unhealthy relationship or a manipulative relationship? Yeah. I mean, I think paying attention to people's words and actions is really important too. So, you know, one of the things before he even asked to move into my house was, you know, one night we were at my house with the kids and it was like a Friday night movie night and I was doing the dishes and he and the youngest were sitting on the couch. And so they're kind of like with an earshot of me. Mm -hmm. And the youngest was like, dad, why can't we just live here? Why can't we just move in here? Like how much would it cost? Mm -hmm. And Chad answered and said, well, it wouldn't cost us anything because Ginny pays the mortgage. Oh, cool. 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 Right. And I was like, (laughs) oh, that's pretty presumptuous. I mean, like you think you wouldn't have to contribute to the household and he really didn't. So he never put forth any money towards the mortgage. Like finally at one point, like, I don't know, a few months in to them living there, I lost it. Like I was like, look, I do everything. I pay the mortgage. I make sure the house gets clean. I make sure the lawn gets done. You know, the lawn gets mowed. I do the laundry. I do the grocery shopping. I'm traveling every week. I pay all the bills. Mm-hmm. And like, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know? I mean, yeah. It's like literally I was doing everything. And so, you know, then he was like, well, yeah, I'll definitely chip in. And I think he took over like a couple utility bills and, you know, and then it, it was over, you know, just a few months after that, but you know, yeah. just things like that. I mean, I think it's important too. I know we've talked a little bit about like red flags and relationships and yeah. it's not just in romantic relationships. So, you know, these types of toxic behaviors, you can be taken advantage of in friendships in Mm -hmm. familial relationships, even by coworkers. And so I think a lot of these things can be universal. It's like if your friend forgets their wallet every time you go out to eat, they're Mm -hmm. taking advantage of you, right? Like things happen, right? Or if they always are shorting the bill or, you know, things like that. So I think, you know, from a financial perspective, I definitely got taken advantage of, but I also didn't because I could, it wasn't like it was something that I stood up for or like was really diligent about. And in hindsight, I would, you know, like before ever living with somebody, there would be very clear boundaries and rules and agreements on who's participating in what. And I think that's healthy. That's a healthy thing to do, which is not something that I ever, you know, had done before. Right. One of the biggest things that I will say is if you start behaving 
outside of your normal self, Mm -hmm. that's actually, I think, a bigger thing to pay attention to. So I started doing things that I was not proud of um, because I was suspicious. You know, he took Viagra, never talked to me about it, never told me, but I, you know, found the pills and I started counting them. Mm. And then I would drive myself crazy because I'm like, wait, did I count right last time? Because it feels like there's a lot missing, but I don't yeah. know. And so like, that's a very abnormal behavior for me. Like, and if you were in a trusting relationship, you wouldn't question it. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have done that. That was very abnormal behavior for me. Right. When I started being suspicious also, I turned on monitoring on the um, security system in my house. Okay. And there were days where he wasn't there. Yeah. Like the door never got opened. There was no motion in the living room. And I had an elderly dog at the time. Yeah. And that like someone that can abuse an animal like that. And I didn't know, right. I didn't know at the time I wasn't putting the pieces together. When you start behaving outside of your normal behavior, I think that's a really good indicator. Um, And if you start feeling like you're doing things that are a little bit crazy, um, you know, like pay attention to why is that? You know, like I said, I had turned on the security system, was counting his pills. um, And those are not things like if you're in a trusting relationship, you wouldn't need to be doing those things. Right. So it's definitely paying attention to that. Um, Yeah. I mean, he had clients that canceled their credit cards because he was charging them for services not rendered. I know I mentioned this earlier, but like one of the most grandiose things is doing chiropractic adjustments on people. I mean, not only is it illegal, he's not a doctor, but it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, you can give someone a stroke if he hasn't already, you know, or worse. So it's it's pretty crazy. And I think that he's of the mindset that he believes, you know, that all these things are okay and they're, yeah. you know, and they're legitimate. Yeah. I was going to ask you that question. If there was ever a time that you felt if his toxicity ever started to leak off onto you and and you do start to become this person that you know you are not and doing crazy things that you normally wouldn't do. Do you have any character traits that you would say, I don't want to use the words that like you would allow this to happen because I think that obviously the character traits that we have that typically make us caring or compassionate, like in my sense, like those were kind of my excuse words, empathetic to certain situations and ways he grew up. Is there anything that you would say were your characteristics that kind of made what he was doing okay, that you allowed for this to continue on longer than it should have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a little bit of like self-abandonment. Okay. You know, definitely. But I am generous. Um, I'm, I'm, a generous person with my heart, with my time, with, you know, gifts, you know, things, whatever. Um, I'm compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I didn't really know the things that were going on. Like, sure. Certainly there were some things in hindsight that I was like, oh, I probably should have paid more attention to that. And there's a chapter in the book called hindsight that I walk through. Like I, it's like a flashback moment of, all of the kind of things that I ignored. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you want something, you will, you know, ignore things and you want it to, you don't want the bad to be true. You want the good yeah, to be right. your, the reality. It's your life. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good point too, because it is so easy to 
get so angry at yourself looking at things in hindsight. But obviously, like when you're in that moment, especially I feel like a big thing for me is not actually like having proof or evidence that you don't know that you have these ideas and you think, well, this doesn't make sense and this isn't adding up and this seems suspicious, but he always has an explanation for something. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that could make sense. And I do want that to be true. So I guess I'm just going to ride that wave. Yeah. And once I had evidence like that was that was it. It was done. I mean, I it was done the next morning after I got together with the the friend that gave me all the evidence. And then he was out that weekend. But you know, I think what's but yeah, like my story is juicy, you know, and all the details and like the Facebook group and all the women. But I think what's a better part of the story is the after story and kind of the healing and growing journey that I went on and yes. now use that as power and fuel to help inspire and empower other people on their healing and growing journeys. And really part of that whole journey for me, the big part of the realization was, you know, for basically my whole life, I was a, ver I was a version of me that other people thought I should be. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some skills that you could build to help you move on from this situation? Like right at the beginning, when you did finally get that evidence or at the end, I should say, when you got the evidence to start to move on. I feel like a big piece of making it so hard to move on from that person isn't just the loss of that person and the life that you thought that you had and the time invested in it, but also the kids and the friends and family that come with them and the activities that you do and just as the entire life that you live that's going to dissolve once that person isn't in your life anymore. So what would you say are some skills that you can build to kind of be okay with that happening? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing was he wasn't who I thought he was. So like that person that I thought he was didn't exist. And so it was really easy to kind of grieve that and see, see that part. Um, you know, I think in terms of skills, like the first thing I said was get really curious, right? Get yeah. curious about, you know, the situation, the circumstances, and it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship that ends, right? It might be losing your job or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe your parents got divorced and that really shook your world, you know, but no matter what the type of adversity is, it could be physical illness, you know, or physical injury or illness, you know, something that affects your family, but like really getting digging in and, and understanding. Cause like we talked about earlier, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. um, advocating for yourself, I think is something that's really big, uh, creating boundaries, right. Being very clear on what you're willing to participate in and not, mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I include, um, as part of like my coaching model is intentionality. Yes. So, and in the gathering part also, like for me, the, a big part of it was turning that lens inward and taking a hard look at myself. Um, mm -hmm. I took a hard look at my community. I made some changes, uh, for the better. And once I removed those toxic behaviors and people from my life, oh my gosh, what it opened up and made room and space for mm -hmm. now, like my community is filled with warm, genuine, vulnerable, kind, generous. I mean, just like the most amazing people and then intentionality. So really being intentional about who you're surrounding yourself with, what you're doing. Um, and then in terms of intentions, how we speak to ourselves, you know, one of my keynotes that I give on stage is kindness starts with K, but it begins within. 
Mm-hmm. And so I like to say, you know, you don't clean dirt with more dirt, right? And yeah. you know, if someone's not kind to you, you don't come back, you know, worse. But in order for us to really be kind to other people, we have to be kind to ourselves mm-hmm. and kind of start to embody that. And then when you're kind to yourself, I think you're going to bring other people in that are kind to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of that whole energy shift, right? It's that manifestation piece. And then really paying attention to what you need from a mental, emotional, and physical standpoint. So I call that part nurture. And because it's not just self-care, that's part of it, but it's it's really even more all-encompassing than self-care. So it is looking at, you know, what do I need from an exercise standpoint? How am I nourishing my body with food? Um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. how am I moving? What am I consuming from a content? perspective. Yep. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about that from like the gathering, right? When I'm saying like gather information, read books, listen to, you know, podcasts, read journals, watch videos. This is more about like paying attention to what are you unconsciously consuming? Yes. And is that good for you? For me, I found meditation. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you like five years ago, if someone told you that I meditated, they'd be like, <laughs> that's cute. Uh, no. And I hadn't, I had never meditated for a second in my life or yeah, for a second in my life. And then a year after the split, which I liked actually that you called it the beginning because Mm -hmm. I really was, so it was like the new beginning for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I went on a meditation retreat for like five days in another country. I was like, well, I guess I go all in. And it was life changing. <laughs> um, you know, like for me, that's really helped me. It's made me less reactive. Um, it's made me more calm, be able to be more present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something too, like just to pay attention to is being able to be present, or are you always like distracted by, you know, other things? Like as we're talking about, like, are you in a, man- a manipulative relationship? If you're constantly overthinking things and and wondering you know, that's another thing to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't be confused all the time. It should not be confusing. No. Let me ask you this. What would you say to somebody that doesn't want to abandon the person in their like time of dysfunction that you can see obviously that they're dysfunctional, but I feel like I've had friends or family that have, or myself, honestly, even that it's like, you realize that their life is in shambles, the person that you're with. And so you're like, but they're my person. They're my partner. I'm supposed to be a good girlfriend or a good significant other and be there for them when they're struggling through these things. What would you tell that person? You can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes walking away might be the best thing for them because it will put them in a position to have to deal with the things that, you know, they need to deal with. Mm -hmm. Chances are, um, you know, if they're a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath, they're not ever going to, I mean, that's kind of the level of things that I talk about. Um, But I mean, if we're talking about like mental health things and they need to see a therapist, I mean, those could be some stipulations that you build into the relationship. But I think, you know, you know, I will stay, but you need to go to therapy, Um, you know, or I will stay and you need to go to therapy or something like that, whatever the agreement is. But there there needs to be some accountability and some actionable items or action steps, I guess, for. Uh, both parties, if people are really, you know, if both people are invested in the relationship. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I think we talked about it before too, about how much your story seems so severe 
compared to like what other people might downplay and might think that it's not as intense as it really is. But obviously to you, it can take up your whole space. It can take up everything that you think about from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. This is the only thing that you can function on. And you said that once you let that go, you were able to invite so much more joy into your life. So what would you say would be um, a remedy to begin to kind of free up some of that mental space? It seems like it's just impossible to even start to think of doing that. But if you have some beginning steps to to start to try to do that, what would they be? I think just like being present and that really helps you shut out the noise. Um, mm-hmm. So being present in the moment with yourself and you're not distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it in the beginning, it is going to consume your thoughts. Like there's a lot, there's really no getting around that, but making sure that you are doing things to nurture yourself, whatever that looks like. Like I made sure that I still worked out because I think that for me, that was really good. Like, I don't know that there's ever been a workout that I've regretted. Right. So like yeah. <laughs> making sure that, you know, you're like, Oh God, so mad. I did that. Right. Like you're always glad that you, that you did it. Um, I think finding community, like whatever that looks like for you, making sure that you've got a safe space um, Mm -hmm. for you to be able to talk about things where you're not going to be judged. I think those are a couple of the big things. And then intentionality, like paying attention to your thoughts. Like there's a thing called cognitive dissonance and it's, it's actually recognizing and acknowledging your thoughts. And if it's bad or negative, think it, you know, figure out why it came and, and let it go. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so it's not just ignoring the thoughts or the feelings that we have. It's actually acknowledging them and paying attention to them so that you can process it and move forward. Yeah. And is this I'm fascinated by the idea of post-traumatic growth. Is that what you're talking about when you say you did post-traumatic growth? That's all of this. Yeah. So post-traumatic growth is really it's about. So we hear the word resilience all the time and I'm yeah. averse to that word. Like I I think it became super big when the pandemic started and everyone was talking about resilience. Well, resilience is great, but resilience is bouncing back. And mm-hmm. as humans, we are naturally wired to be resilient. So like to me resilience isn't this like big novel concept, but post traumatic growth is and so is growing through adversity. And the reason why is because it is the ability to use a traumatic situation that happens and being able to find greater purpose and meaning in it Mm -hmm. to move your life into a healthier, better place than it was before. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I used my scenario, my situation of what happened to completely change my career exit corporate America and live in my purpose now. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the idea so much because I actually heard it for the first time from one of my guests on this show. And I've been doing Wellish for a little under a year now. And so I feel like the fact that I had never heard the term post-traumatic growth, and I'm like obviously very into self-improvement, but had never heard it anywhere, but always hear post-traumatic stress. And nobody talks about the post-traumatic growth. And I think that I love what you say about resilience being just it's something that we naturally have inside of us, but it takes so much to commit to growing from these traumatic events and and using them to our advantage instead of just letting them crush us and define us in a negative light. You can let it define you, quote unquote, I suppose, but it it's 
in a positive way. Is that, am I kind of understanding that correctly? Yeah. And a lot of people, so I've actually had two guests on my own show. So if you're really interested in this topic, you could listen to the one with Lisa Ferentz. She's a clinical psychologist and she specializes in post-traumatic growth. Okay. So I had her on and she has some really great perspective and talks about some of the characteristics of people that experience post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I had a journalist on who wrote a, a book on it and he interviewed all these people with these fascinating stories. And for him, what he saw was a lot of times people did have PTSD before they were able to move into PTG or the post-traumatic growth. Um, But it is a really fascinating topic. And I think that we're all capable of it. Mm -hmm. I love this saying from this shaman, uh, Heather Ash, I think it's Heather Ash Amara. um, And she says, change is inevitable, but transformation is by conscious choice. And so also I like to tie that in with what I call a dadism. So my dad, he died, he passed away two years ago on Valentine's day of a heart attack. So cliche, (laughs) right? Um, But my dad was like my guy and he always had these dadisms. Like I call them kind of a bad dad joke or like a dad joke. They kind of have bad timing, but they're well-intended. Yeah. And so he always would say, well, you're the architect of your own destiny. And it was so annoying, but now I use that one all the time. Like I use it in my keynotes and I use it in my talks because to me, what that means is we can't always control what happens, Mm -hmm. but we can control how we respond. Yes, absolutely. I uh, just had a guest on who survived both 9-11 and COVID. And so she talked a lot about post-traumatic growth and about using your traumatic situations to better you. And I think that that is such a a valuable point is that you can't control your life. And that's such a misconceived topic is that we can build our own life and we're in control of our destiny and we make our, who we want to be happen, but you don't know what curveballs are going to be thrown your way. You can obviously do your best and work your best at becoming that person, but you have to build the skills in order to kind of work with the curveballs of life because they're going to happen. Yeah, for sure. So you talked about self-trust and I think that's a very big growing point from when you are in a situation like this. How do you begin to heal and trust yourself again? What would be your advice for that? So I have a really strong intuition and I, I did a whole podcast episode on it. I have like very, I have a very physical indicator um, when I, when something is happening or is being said, that's the truth. Um, I get like this numb tingly sensation down my hands and my fingers. And I think I ignored it for a long time. So I think it's a matter of tapping into it. And I think naturally, if you ever distrust yourself or ignore your intuition, you don't ignore it again. And so let me be the example or the lesson, right? Like you don't, you don't have to go through it. Like use my experience as the lesson to start paying attention to it now and and today. So you don't have to, you know, experience something like I did. And I think it's sometimes unfortunate that we have to experience something super traumatic in order to go on like this growing or healing journey, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think anybody can, can grow, you know, when they make when they make that choice. But certainly like we talked about, like these types of situations are going to change you no matter what, but how you change is really up to you. Mm -hmm. And I think just like with anything, you know, talking about, 
you know, trusting ourselves and paying attention to ourselves and our thoughts and our intuition and all of that, just like with anything, it takes practice. Like one of the things that people tell me all the time, especially women, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so bad with talking negatively to myself. Like help, how do I do it? And it's just like, pay attention to it. I think journaling is also a really, really, really good tool. Yeah. There's a lot of data out there about actually putting pen to paper or pencil to paper and and writing down your thoughts and your feelings. Mm -hmm. And then you have it to circle back to, and you can pay attention to how often am I, you know, having these negative self thoughts or how did I feel when I ignored my intuition and my intuition was right, you know? So you have that to go back to. Keeping track of things is really, you know, really helps us achieve our goals. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about the healing journey. And oh, anybody can grow. What does it mean to be committed to growing? Mm, gosh, I mean, it's kind of just, it becomes like your way of life. Yeah. You know, and when you, I think, gosh, that's a real, that's a deep one, Sarah. Um, <laughs> I love it. And, you know, for me, I think one of the things I really noticed was it, you've probably heard of the crab mentality. If there's a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one's trying to, you know, climb out or, you know, if you equate that to growing and evolving, the Mm -hmm. other ones try to pull it back down. And so I think when you start to pay attention, when you really start to tune into and discover yourself and start to love yourself and you can stand true in that conviction. And like I said earlier, like I am more confident and like know who I am than I ever did before. And it does sometimes start to shine a light on those that are around you that maybe aren't growing and evolving with you. Um, And that's okay. I think it's taking everything. It's kind of just taking everything in uh, as it comes. But I think when you kind of start on the path, you just keep going forward. I don't know that you ever look back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. I have some ending questions for you. A little game, kind of toxic, kind of well. (laughs) What or who are you jealous of? Oh my gosh, everyone. Well, I'm not really a jealous person, but everyone that Reese Witherspoon has made their book into a movie or a TV series, because that has been what I've been manifesting for you. My favorite (laughs) is for Reese Witherspoon to make it into a movie or a miniseries. That would be insane. That'd be so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) What is the last time you people pleased instead of doing or saying what you really wanted? Oh, maybe I think it's been a minute. Um, Ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a really big people pleaser. I, you know, that we could have a whole nother uh, chat about like family dynamics and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been a minute. Good. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Most, I think you're the first person that I've had on the show that has said that. Everybody else is like, well, like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so that's awesome. I feel like I've gotten really clear um, who I surround myself with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. Absolutely. That makes sense that you don't have to do it in front of these people. Mm-hmm. When are you selfish? All the damn time. Amen. Yeah, because you and I don't think of it as selfish. Like I actually had a a guest on my show who her partner died by suicide and she talked about how she became really selfish because she wanted to take a shower. And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Um, that's not selfish. That's self-care. Yeah. And I think taking care of ourselves and putting ourselves first allows us to be able to be and show up 
as the best version of ourselves. And even if it's only for yourself, great. But I think that does really play out and trickle into your community and being able to show up the best for your people. And I I talk a lot about emotional bank accounts Mm -hmm. um, and paying attention to that. Like when you leave interactions, paying attention to is your emotional bank account, getting a deposit or withdrawal or even. And I feel like my people, we feel like we leave interactions both having gotten a deposit. Yeah. Deal. I like that. Because I am you know, taking care of myself first. Right. What do you find yourself overthinking about? Oh, um, well, I was just overthinking about my newsletter because I was procrastinating it for over a year. Um, and I actually, that's how I opened it. I was like, look, I've been overthinking this, uh, because I was like, then, you know, I've been procrastinating it and then more stuff happens and how am I going to fit all this stuff into a newsletter? And then I was like, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is to start connecting with my people in this format. And so it's going to go out the first one tomorrow morning. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you quick to get angry? Oh gosh. Um, I don't really get angry so much anymore. Um, I am a fierce protector of my people, but I used to be a lot more reactive. Um, you know, that I would say that's one of my qualities. Like I really approach things more from a place of neutrality now. Okay. Um, but I don't appreciate negativity and closed-mindedness. Yes, I like it. What are you afraid of? Hmm. What am I afraid of? Well, not public speaking, which is the number one fear, even over death. True. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a true fact. <laughs> I like. I am afraid of the day that my dog dies. Oh my God. Yeah. I hear you. That's just not even, we can't even begin to think about that. I know. I know. (laughs) What do you not have empathy for? People with no empathy. I love that answer. That's (laughs) such a good answer. Uh, Chad. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then if you could give one piece of advice to someone trying to improve themselves or become more well than toxic, what would it be? Mm grant yourself some grace. It is not a linear process. There are going to be times where you will fall back into old behaviors and patterns, but just keep celebrating the new evolved version of you along the way. That's so good. I love that a lot. Where can people find you and where can they get your book? Ooh, So the book you can grab on Amazon, but like you said, you can read the first chapter on my website, JinnyPream.com. Highly recommend. It was very ah, good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you can grab the book on Amazon and it's great for book clubs too. So I also have on my website, a free book discussion guide, which is kind of fun to oh, use cool. for book clubs. But um, I hang out on Instagram the most, um, which is also at JinnyPream. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, again, my my website and then my podcast, Drinking with Gin, is all over um, all the major platforms. So whatever you're listening to this on, you can grab and listen to Drinking with Gin also. Absolutely. And then it'll all be linked in the show notes as well. I'll throw that all in there for everybody too. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate everything that you said. I really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Me too. Thanks for having me. <laughs>